Okay, good morning to everybody. Who can remember the 60s? Okay, a few hands, well, we'll see if you really do remember the 60s. Because in the 60s, there were a group of Christians that were undergoing many trials, suffering and perhaps even some persecution. And to encourage them in their walk of faith, there was a certain man that wrote this letter to them to tell them how to live in the situation that they were facing. In fact, this letter was one of the most profound pieces of literature ever written. And by the way, when I'm talking about the 60s, I'm not talking about the 1960s. I'm talking about the 60s, 60 AD. So I'm sure none of you can remember that. (laughs) The profound thing about this letter, it was by someone who personally knew Jesus. And not only that, it was one of his closest friends. His name, Peter. We can take the Bible for granted and the, and the books that he wrote are in the Bible. But when you think about it, these books are written by people who were eyewitnesses, companions, even close friends. And, that thinks, and to me, that makes me think that we need to take what these people say really seriously and not put our own interpretation on things. So the letter I'm talking about today is Peter's first letter, 1 Peter. And there's a particular passage in here that I want to focus on this morning. And the paragraph that contains this passage is part of the the following. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And the passage of Scripture within here that I really want to focus on is always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And there are three things in here in particular that I want to draw to your attention. The first of these is the topic. And the topic is the hope that you have. And what is this hope that is being talked about here? Well, we simply have to go to earlier on into the letter and we see where hope is introduced in the first chapter, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born into this living hope in the new birth. Our first birth was about being born 
into this world. We were born into a particular family, a particular situation, and a particular environment. And we had no choice in the matter. Some of you were born into wealth, others were born into poverty. Some were born into a stable home, others into an unstable or even a broken home. Some were born into a godly home, others into a home that was the complete opposite. In summary, some of you were born into a home where there was hope for a better life or a good life. And others were born into a home where there was little or no hope. That's your first birth. But all of us now have the opportunity for a new birth, where there is a new hope, where we all have hope. And this opportunity comes from God and God alone. We all get the opportunity to be born into a living hope. Think about that for a minute. What does that mean, a living hope? Well, I guess it's a hope that's not dead. A dead hope is one where we hope for something that there's, there's nothing backing it up. There's no certainty behind it. It's a bit like putting your hopes in winning the lottery, okay? Realistically, what is the chances of you winning the lottery? The hope is as good as dead. And yet we can put our hope in things where there's no certainty to them. We put our hope in a person. We put our hope in the government. We put our hope perhaps even in the church. But our hope is to be in God. Not only is hope certain, but I believe that this scripture implies that this hope is also eternal. It never ceases. You see, this hope was made available through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he will always remain resurrected. He's not going to die again. He will live forever. And in addition, if you see immediately following this verse, it talks about us partaking uh, a, into a, or receiving an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, an eternal inheritance. But what is this hope? We know it's certain, we know it's eternal, but what is it? The answer is found later on in the chapter. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This living hope that we all receive is by grace. If It's a gift that's given to us. And it's our inheritance. And what is this inheritance? You know, the Bible doesn't give too many details as to what this inheritance actually is. Maybe it's too great to be put into words. Or maybe it's God also just wanting us to receive it by faith, testing our hearts as to whether we truly believe he's going to follow through on his word. Perhaps it's both. But you know what we do know about this inheritance when you look throughout the scripture? Firstly, it will never perish. 
Secondly, it's already in heaven. Your inheritance is already sitting in heaven and it has been stored up for you. Not only that, it is rich and it is glorious. Whatever that means. Glorious inheritance. Can you even think what that might mean? And as I said before, it's eternal. But isn't it hope that motivates us to endure? An athlete will put, through, will put up with all types of trials and suffering in the hope that they will win that gold medal one day. Or a student will induce all the trials and suffering that comes with studying to achieve those academic goals. And it's this hope, our eternal hope, that drives us on through our trials. That's what the Apostle Peter was trying to convey here. Don't forget the hope that's stored up for you. That's what we are to focus on to get us through those trials that come through in life for all of us from time to time. So that is the topic, our hope. The second thing I want to point out in this passage is the question. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I have a question about this question. Why would people ask us about our hope? What Peter is writing here is there's this expectation that people are going to ask these Christians about their hope. When you think about it, people only ask questions when they observe something and they're curious about it. So what would um, garner people's curiosity to ask us about our hope? And I believe we can... So, And I believe you can get an insight into this in the latter part of this passage. Always be prepared. We won't pick up there. Perhaps I'll come through. Um, But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It was their behaviour that was different to those around them that aroused their curiosity. And what is this good behaviour that we're talking about here? Well, you only need to look in the earlier parts of this book, of this letter, to see what behaviour Peter is talking about. And here's a list of seven of them. I think it's seven. Yep. Do not conform to evil desires. Be holy in all you do. Love one another deeply from the heart. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. This is the life that stands out from how the world lives. The world doesn't understand this way of life, which is why it can arouse their curiosity to ask questions. But 
They need to see that life, don't they? That's a challenge for me, as I'm sure it is a challenge for you. My final point in this passage we're looking at this morning is the answer. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, but do this with gentleness and respect. Be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. What I find interesting about this little phrase here is that Peter is not telling us what to say. So what's your answer for the reason, for the hope that you have? Peter's expecting that we know that. And for some of you, that might be quite obvious as to what the answer is. But for others, particularly someone like myself who grew up in the church, always been in the church, always believed, there comes a point in time you've got to take ownership of your own faith and work out, why do I believe? What do I believe? And... How can I communicate that to others? This is where your personal testimony testimony can come in. Does your testimony explain the reason for your hope? I don't have one specific reason for believing in the hope that we have. I have a number of reasons. Firstly, the Bible is like no other book. It's alive. When I read it, words jump out at me. I've never had that with other books before. And even sometimes it can speak to specific situations that I'm going through. Secondly, I've had too many situations or experiences in life that can, cannot be explained apart from there being a God. And not only that, I've seen for, for yourselves and others that I've met along my journey, so many things that have happened to them, good things that can only be explained by the existence of a God and his goodness. All of this, you know, can be tied up with what's the, the, what the Bible tells us about God. So for that reason, I believe the Bible's true. And if it's talking about a living hope, if it's talking about an eternal inheritance, hey, I believe it's true. It has to be true. And I choose to believe it. So that's the reason for my hope. But what about you? What's the reason for your hope. Work it out. Be prepared to share it because you never know when you have that opportunity to come up. Now, the scripture also instructs us to answer with gentleness and respect. And if you read the end of this passage, the implication here is that when we get asked these questions, it may not be a friendly, oh, gee, you're a Christian. Or like, tell me more about your life. If anything, it's talking about the question being more in an antagonistic tone of voice. Why would you believe that? Because we're talking about a group of people back then who, who were living such lives that, that they were being persecuted, they have been antagonised, their lives were standing out. And if we reply in the same way that the question is asked to us, it's going to close them down to the message of the gospel. We were called to be a blessing, which is why we don't answer insult with insult, but we answer with a blessing. Can be hard, I know, but that's what we are called to do. So, do you understand this hope that is available to you? Has this hope to change the way you live your life? And are you prepared 
to give an answer to everyone who asks you why you live the way you do. I'd like to now hand over to someone who's one of the most passionate believers I've ever met. Someone who I dearly love as a sister in Christ and always love hearing what she has to share. Come on up, Althea. Boy, hard man to follow. Okay. Paul was talking about testimony and hope. I'm here to share a testimony. I'll start off with a very quick one about my early life. I had a good start in life. A loving mother. I was from a broken home. A loving mother. Sunday school, church. Encouraged. I know she prayed every night because we shared a room for many years. It used to annoy me. (laughs) But... I, I had a relationship, uh, sort of a relationship with God, but then again, off to, off to become a student, education, student life, the 70s. I was worried when he spoke about the 60s. I hate to admit I was involved in that time, but in the 70s, it was the time of liberation, particularly of women. And I fell into that bondage of believing that was important. It is important, in a manner of speaking. All people should be free. All. So... I went off the rails, I had a fine life, I had everything a person could wish for. I had a a job, it wasn't a job, it was a vocation. I was a teacher, I loved it. I really felt it was so important to change society through education. You can, when it's done properly. I had a great social life. I had everything I could wish. All the stuff I wanted, all the fun I wanted, a car I wanted, Everything was great. However, my praying mother, I would get these moments, sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes during the day, there must be more to life than this. But I had everything. So I emigrated to Australia. That was in the 70s. Had more fun. Had this man I lived with for a while. They eventually got married because we felt the pressure from his parents. Mine didn't know, so it wasn't a problem to me. There we are. I'm just being honest. In all of that, I still wasn't satisfied. I kept knowing there's something missing. I discovered the missing item through a traumatic time, the worst time in my life. Now, that was my fault, not God's fault. I discovered there is one who loves me. There is one who accepts me. There is one who has great plans for my life. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know the one, I would like to challenge you now to say, get to know the one. I can pray. I'll pray just in case there's somebody who may hear this. Father, I ask that you will bring everybody that hears my voice into your kingdom of light, that you will open their eyes, help them to realize that you are good, merciful, gracious. And Father, as Sarah so eloquently explained about the cross, Jesus suffered and died so we could have life. All we have to do is turn around, look at him, repent, apologize, accept that you need him, and he will come and give you an amazing life. I thank you for doing that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Sometimes I'll say Yeshua because that's what I call him in private. Now, my life was turned around. Since I became a Christian, life got better and better. I've had two amazing careers with promotion in both, both very unexpected and both quite significant. I've had the privilege of serving in Israel for 11 years. Five of them were unpaid, volunteer, and I was honored to do it. Then, by another miracle that only God could have done, he got me a job in a very prestigious school in Jerusalem. And they paid me for five years to live in the most beautiful city on the planet. God has been incredibly good to me. I began this relationship with him a long time ago. Well, it's not that long. Well, it is that long. Forget that. (laughs) I'm not disclosing my age. You have to guess. So what happened to me recently was very interesting. It was a normal Saturday morning. We decided we'd go to the markets because it's a nice place to shop and a lot of it's good fresh food and so on. And there's a nice atmosphere. So off we set on there. We've got scooters, you know, the push ones, not the electric ones. It's for health. So I went off, healthily pushing along my scooter. I had a freak accident. I landed round about here on something, I don't know, because I became unconscious very quickly, and an artery burst. I didn't realize it at the time, but a bursting artery, if it's not dealt with instantly, results in death. I found that out the next day. A person who happened to be there at that exact moment was an off-duty paramedic. If that paramedic hadn't been there, I wouldn't be here now. Another amazing person came along who took off his T-shirt. I actually saw this. Every now and then I came back to consciousness. I saw this man and he said, here's my T-shirt. Gave it to the paramedic and that actually stopped the bleeding till the ambulance came. So I'm very grateful for these two people. But I'm exceedingly grateful for God who happened to get them there at exactly the time. Because if those two people hadn't been there, I would be in heaven. Heaven's a reality. Okay. So. I've I've got my clock on so I don't overstep my margins. I was panicking then. I thought, not already. I was unconscious again. Anyway, being unconscious is really weird. If you ever come across anybody who is unconscious, talk to them. I remember when my mum was dying and she was unconscious. I talked to her a lot. And I now know that she heard me. So please remember that if you do get into a situation. In this unconscious state, I was whizzed off to hospital. I believe the ride was terrific. I would have loved to have been in the front. Apparently, down the freeway at full speed. Oh, not 40, not 60, probably not 90 or 100, I suspect. Driving on the wrong side of the road, going through the lights. My dream as a driver, I would have loved to have done that. (laughs) Pastor Gary's done it, I guess, but I'd love to do that. So this is what happened to me. I'm in the back, unconscious. Every now and then, I came back to reality. The man in the back of the car, the man with me, was called Leo. That's a very significant name for me. It's another proof that God loves me. That was a proof that God loves me. Not that I needed more proof. Anyway... So what have I learned from this experience? Oh, I'll tell you how I know I died. Nearly died, didn't I? Um, the next day, there was this bag of stuff on the floor with my clothes. My clothes. I got them out, and they're all in bits. So when the doctor came to see me, she was a lovely woman, Christian lady from South Africa, I said, um, my clothes? 
She said, oh, we had to cut them off. You were dying. That's when I found out I nearly died. It was a surprise to me because I was fine after they stitched me up. Anyway, Dr. Liesel. When I was in this dark place, a voice said to me, hi, my name is Liesel. And because she spoke directly to me, I responded. The weirdest thing is what I said to her. I said to her from this dark place, so are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am actually. So I said, good, and went back to sleep. <laughs> I woke up. There was a nurse messing with my hair. Apparently it was full of blood. <laughs> I'd love to have seen it. Anyway, so this massive mess on my hair. And there's this lovely nurse gently washing it because it was pretty painful. Um, so I said to her, are you a Christian? She said, no. I said, why not? <laughs> I went back to sleep. <laughs> so even when I'm asleep, unconscious, I'm not safe to be around. <laughs> I would encourage you, talk to people. Like Paul, talk to them. Uh, I'm amazed what God's doing with me. I know a few weeks ago I mentioned that God has spoken to me about being a disciple instead of a, a person who pops into church. No disrespect. Uh, but, but since the accident, it's got worse. Nobody is safe. Shop assistants, in the bank, anybody I meet. I look them direct, I chat, you know, because I'm a bit silly now and then, some people would say. I chat to them, and I eventually get round to a question after I've developed some form of connection. I look them right in the eye where they can't escape, and I say to them, do you know that God loves you? Even when somebody says yes, I say, do you really know that God loves you? And then develop the conversation according to, you know, whatever. You can't, have a, you can't have a set thing for anybody. But my plan is to speak to everybody and ask them, do they know? And then if they know what they're doing about it. I had a guy come to the door to sell us something which we didn't want, but we chatted and chatted. And eventually, the question. And he said, yes, I know. He said, but I'm a backslider. So we discussed that. And he gave me his word that he would deal with that issue. So you just don't know. The one you talk to, you might get them back like this backslider. Or you might just shake them enough to realize that they need God. They need to know this amazing Yeshua, Jesus. Okay. It's all about a relationship. So the next thing that that, that strikes me, I suppose if you've been through a trauma, you would already ask this question. Why am I alive? I was that close. I was a fraction of a second away from seeing that face. And I am frustrated that I didn't get to see the face that I long to see before I die. I didn't. I saw nothing. Just dark, pitch black, nothing. Warmth, dark. No fear. And it's made me realize if we have a traumatic situation to go through in life, heaven forbid, but as Paul said, we don't know what aggressive people will come for us one day, possibly. It made me realize that in the moment, he will give you the ability to deal with that situation and you will not have fear. You will not have dread and anxiety because you will stand for him and he will do an amazing thing with you. That's my, from my experience, I suspect that. Okay, so the question, why am I alive? 
It's a serious question to me because I've had a great life. I really have an incredible life, very fortunate in many ways, in some ways not. That's the answer to why. He told me, what you're here for is the cross. The vertical represents his body, which represents his love. His love held him on that cross. My sins, his love. Everything I do have to be based in love. He's told me two things. One is called outreach. The other is called discipleship. Outreach means I need to speak about him to anybody and everybody. And it's not hard when you start. It's scary when you're, not, when you're thinking about it at home. You think, what would I do? What would I do? Don't think about it. Just do it. And the other thing he's required of me is in Micah 6, verse 8, which magically will soon appear on the back. It's an incredible passage. He's telling me, hopefully, you'll soon read it. Anyway, he's telling me. Sorry, there it is. It's gorgeous, this passage. He's shown you, O man, what is good. What is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Just, I could go on this for days, but let's just look at it quickly. He requires something of us. He's God, Father, Almighty God. He requires something, now that he's given us life in all its fullness. He wants us to do justly, pursue justice, justice for other people, not just for yourself, for other people where people are being oppressed and downtrodden, we're supposed to speak up. We're supposed to get involved. We're not supposed to say, oh dear, isn't it terrible what's happening in Afghanistan? There's ways to get involved in your own society, in your own area. Love mercy. Live in the place of mercy. Give mercy. And the most marvelous thing, walk humbly with your God. It's relationship. It's not stuff we do. He will require us to do stuff but the whole thing is based on relationship. It's grace. As Pastor Gary, Gary eloquently spoke on last week, grace is what is available for us. The other thing I'm supposed to do is discipleship. This is, like what I'm doing now, speaking about the word of God, encouraging people. I would say, this is your most valuable item. I've been in a Tesla electric car Oh, wow. Oh, boy. I could waste $69,000 on that car and live in a tent. It was fabulous. But this is much more precious. Because in this is everything you need. Do not neglect it. Please. It could save your life. Literally. The other thing I do is I'm part of a home group. I love my home group. The word love does not often come out of my mouth because I've had experiences in life that make me very suspicious of people who say they love me, not Paul. But I'm always a bit, mm, yeah, really? I want to see you when the times are tough. Then if you say you love me, you've got to do something. You've got to demonstrate it. That's my attitude. It's always been my attitude, probably from the broken family thing. But I love my home group. Because in that group, we share, we, we talk about what's important, we study the word, they get in depth. They know the passages we're going to talk about, they really get into it. We have a terrific time. We learn more about God, we learn more about each other, and we are 
just it's a beautiful group of people. I would say if you're not in a home group, you're missing out. And secondly, you probably will soon need to be in a home group because it's apparent that in some areas of this beautiful nation that the church will be going underground. Now, if that strikes you as amazing, I can't, well, I can't go comment because they'll, they'll wipe us off. <sighs> it's true. Some areas are having to go underground already. So you need to be in a group. You need to contribute to a group. I gain so much from what people say in our group. I can study the scriptures for hours and hours and hours. I go to the group. Somebody will say something I've missed. I think, wow, God is so good. Get into the word. Get into a group. Now, a disciple. Oh, no, hang on. I'm going to give you a test. Can I have the next scripture, please? Which is in Peter. I love that passage in Peter that Paul shared on. The Peter one. I'll have to turn around because I can't see it. This is a test. Did you know? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Yeshua our Lord. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. First point, did you know that grace and peace can be multiplied to you? Did you know that grace and peace is available in multiplied form, not just a drip, but it can be a massive multiplied form. Multiplied means increasing exponentially. Pastor Gary spoke about grace last week. When you get an idea about the grace of God, the ability of God that's poured into you, and it's going to be multiplied, that is amazing. What's next? Peace. How do we get it, though? What's the secret? The secret is in the next word. Knowledge of God and Yeshua, our Lord. Knowledge is in relationship. You do not get this just by reading it. You have to have a relationship with the author. I love reading it anyway, but look at what else you get. His divine power has given to us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything you will ever need has already been supplied. You might be sitting there thinking, well, where is it? It's in your mouth. Did you notice Pastor Gary when he prayed before? He did not say he was praying for people. He said, ask for it. Thank God for it. That's what we're supposed to do. He has given us everything we will ever need. It's all available. It's all described in here. You need to find out what it is so you can get it. It's no good asking him for this, that, and the other. Because his answer would be, I've given you that. Why are you asking for it? Take it. Use it. Spread it around. Next one. I've got to talk quick now because of time. Oh, no, go back. Go back. We're not doing that one. Sorry. Um, Look what we get. He's given us all things. And look, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. In here. Great and precious promises. If you don't know, you ain't going to get it. If you don't know, it's not yours. It is yours because he's given it to you. And look what you get through the promises. You become a partaker of his nature. 
You become like him. I think the game plan of God was, here's my son. You can watch him for the three years of his ministry, see what he did, went round healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons. That's what he did. Guess what? That's what I'm supposed to do. I won't say it's you because you might feel condemned. Don't feel condemned. Feel like you're going to grab hold of this. Feel like you're going to say, come on, I want that. Jesus, you said this is what you, that's what you did. You told me to be a follower of you. Jesus said to his guys, follow me. When you follow somebody, not on social media stuff, when you follow the son of God, you become like him through your relationship with him, through knowing you need to know so you can do, so you can be who he says you are supposed to be. I, you, if you're born again, are a child of God. You are not just a human being. You are a child of God. The nature of God is deposited in you. I might look like an ordinary woman to you. Well, I'm not. I'm pretty spectacular, to be honest. Look, my hair's nice. When I was doing my hair this morning, I said, oh, please, please work. <laughs> Some days it doesn't, quite often. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, look, look what happens. So, I've lost the thread now. So, I might look like a human being to you, but the Spirit of God's in me. The Spirit of God is inside me. He wants to get out more. So he and I go out, and he and I share a relationship, and he wants me to share that relationship with other people. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to love people, help them to come into the kingdom of light. Because if they don't come into the kingdom of light, there's only one other place to go. There's heaven, there's hell. There's no middle ground where you get another chance. It's a choice. Life is a choice. Relationship with him is a choice. Make, we make the right choices. But every day, I'm getting up saying, thank you for this day. What are we doing today? That's my thing. What are we doing today? It's only me in the bed. So, that's it. What are we going to do today? Because there might be some stuff he wants me to do or say. I don't know. But I'm excited. I've known a great life, but I tell you what, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So please, get into the word. Get yourself a decent group of people that you can care about, that you can help, that you can encourage. Get a group of people around you who are going to pray for you and encourage you and help you. It's a mutual thing. And guess what? He'll turn up. He always turns up. Wednesday morning, he always turns up. Last week, I had to leave the room and talk with somebody for a moment or two. I came back in the room, and there they were, my little group of wonderful people, praying. And I just burst into tears. I'm not like that normally. They were quite shocked. They were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but I just walked in, and they were praying, and the presence of God was so beautiful in that room, I couldn't do anything but pray. I, was so, I said to them, I was so proud of you, I love you. Those words do not escape my lips very often. Very rare. It's a word that's thrown around very loosely, in my opinion. So, that's my question that I'm dealing with in my life now. But one question for you. What are you alive for? Why are you alive right now in this situation, in this social situation. Can't say any more than that. 
Why are you alive? What does he want to do through you? And a secondary question, with the main question, is how is your relationship with him? Because nothing else is more important than your relationship with him. Your relationship with your family is vitally important. Your relationship with your employer, whatever. All your relationships are important. But the most important one is that one, because that's an eternal relationship. And he's got, he's got stuff. He's got stuff, everything you need, he's got. Finances. I could go for quite a while on how God has directed me with finances, but I won't, because I'll never get another chance again, I'll be. <laughs> he's laughing now, but he won't be laughing when he tells me off later. <laughs> no, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity, to, and I'd just like to pray for you. Now, seriously, if you, don't want to, if you do not want what I'm going to pray... Don't say amen. Because if you don't want it, it's okay. You don't have to. I don't know what I'm going to pray yet, but we'll see. But if you do want it, say amen. Just be honest with yourself. Do I really want this? People talk about some things, and I think, yeah, do you want revival? Because it's going to be 24 hours a day. It's going to be 24-7 when revival comes, which it will. But it's going to be 24-7. Anyway... Let's see what comes out. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for, as Sarah so beautifully said about your love, proved on the cross. Thank you that you love me. Thank you you want to spend time with me. Thank you we have a relationship with you. And Father, I ask that everybody in the sound of my voice will come to realize why they are alive for such a time as this. Lord, reveal it to us. Show us what you desire of us. What do you require of us? And Father, thank you for opening our eyes to see everything that's available to us. Help us to get into that treasure chest and live from it. And Father, I choose publicly to lay down my life utterly and completely because I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. I want to be like you. I want to sound like you. I want to act like you. I want to please you more than anything on this planet. And I thank you, Lord, that you accept one life for your glory, for your kingdom. In Yeshua's name, amen.